You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Today, uh, we are going to roll out our new series that we have been praying that God will use in a really powerful way. Uh, over the next six weeks, our, our goal is to, uh, to uh, head towards our grand opening, and we want to activate each other and to motivate each other to be ready for the grand opening, which is February 24th. Everybody say February 24th. And on February 24th, we will hopefully... All the glitches will be uh, figured out and ready to go. But on February 24th, we will be inviting the entire community, of course, our, our police department and our fire department, will, the mayor. Uh, we've already invited our district superintendent, Jeff Lavin. He will be here. Uh, my parents are flying in from Florida, which is pretty awesome. My daughter's coming back from Minneapolis from school, so she'll be here. So you can say hi to Reagan. And we want you to be inviting people all the way along the way, but especially uh, for that grand opening, it will be a special day. And so we want to make sure that you're aware of that. And in these first six weeks, we want to make sure that you don't miss a single week. Put it on your calendar, Sundays. Hopefully it's already on your calendar. But if it's not, let's get in the, the, the regular rhythm and uh, we want you to be here uh, each and every one of those weeks. Now, the goal of this new series and the goal ongoing is for us to leverage the tool that we're sitting in here for the kingdom. I want to make sure that's crystal clear. We did not build this building just to have a building. Along this entire journey, we've said it's all about people. And it's really important from the very beginning that we understand that it's not brick and mortar. It's people. It's souls. There are people in this community, your friends, your family members, that need to, and mine as well, that need the Lord and would benefit from walking in a community of people. And that's what we're trying to to provide. And so if you stick around, our expectation is that you will be activated, that you will be plugged in, and you will join us to reach one more. That's what we're here. We want to reach one more. And so this first series, we're going to wrestle with an idea uh, that has been put on our heart. We've been talking about this and praying about this and studying, and, and the, the team is going to be working alongside of us for these first six weeks. And uh, we're going to wrestle with two primary reasons that people avoid stepping into a church, walking through the doors. And when I say people, I don't mean people that you don't know. I mean people that you do know your neighbors, your coworkers, our families, right? Our friends, parents, and kids, and our, uh, just uh, anyone you can think of. Why would, what would keep them from stepping through these doors? And I thought of two possibilities. Uh, they may think, number one, that they're just too far gone. 
that they're too bad. They've done some things. They've said some things that uh, maybe were inappropriate. Or maybe they've done something that they feel like they've been disqualified. Just quick show of hands. How many of you have ever done anything where you've been, man, I should be disqualified, right? And so you understand that. And there are people that would say, man, if I walk through the doors of a church, lightning would strike, right? Well, so far, if you're here, lightning has been struck. And my guess is for our friends, our family, our coworkers, uh, so on, uh, the, the lightning will at least, uh, if it hits the building, it's not going to hit them. And, uh, and, but there are people that think, man, I'm just too far gone. I'm too bad. There are other people that think that they're too good for church, right? That they got it all figured out, right? They say things like, oh, I'm a good person. Or maybe even, and this might hurt a little, they may say, well, I'm better than most of the Christians I know. Ooh, I don't need church. You're saying, what are you talking about? I'm talking about your spouse or your best friend that says I'm too lost to come through the doors into a church. I'm talking about your professor or your boss that says, I'm good enough. I don't need a church or a church family. And in both cases, it would keep them from connecting with a church like ours. And so as we roll out this new season, as we roll out the, this new series, we want to change our mindset, help our mindset, and uh, to really wrestle with that false reality that people uh, are have to be perfect to come to church. And so the series that we're starting with is No Perfect People Allowed. Let's just say that together. There are no perfect people allowed. We want that to be crystal clear. And that's good news for imperfect people. Isn't it? That's good news for you, by the way, <laughs> because we're all imperfect. It's even better news for the people this morning that are outside of these four walls, people that are far away from God, people that are searching for something, people that are floundering with their purpose. No perfect people allowed, period. We want to lay the groundwork this morning, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to look at characters in Scripture, primarily in the Old Testament, imperfect people. We're going to look at their sin and we're going to look at how that relates to our journeys. And we're going to look to see how God used them. And I believe that it's going to be a tremendous uh, encouragement to all of us and to our guests that we're going to be inviting heading towards our grand opening. Now, how, where do we start? I thought and prayed about this a long time. I thought, well, if we're starting all fresh, all new, we better start in Genesis chapter 1 with the creation. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. And I'm not going to read the creation story. Many of you have read it before. If not, you can read it later. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then it goes over each day, six days of creation, and then God rested on the seventh. The interesting thing is that in the, each day of creation, at the end of the day, God said something very specific. He said, in the Bible it says, and God saw that it was, say it with me, good. And God saw that it was good. It was perfect. They were living in the Garden of Eden. Each day, 
But on the sixth day, something changed. Turn, you're already there. In verse 26, let's look at it together. It says, then God said, this is the sixth day, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, uh, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, it says again, and so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and then he gave them some instruction. And then in verse 31, there was a difference between the days. Day one, two, three, four, five. There's a difference here in day six. It said God saw all that he made, and it was very good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Something different. It was very good. Then, of course, Genesis 2 comes, uh, Eve was created, Adam and Eve, right? In the Garden of Eden, there was perfection. They walked and they talked with God. There was no separation. And then for you Bible scholars, you know the story. Genesis 3, we see the fall, the fall of mankind. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see a sin of pride, a sin of envy kind of creep in. Adam and Eve, they were deceived. You know the story. They ate of the fruit that in Genesis 2.17, they were told not to touch or eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve ate it. Adam ate it. They were there together. And what happened? Their eyes were opened. And what's interesting is that their eyes were opened. They saw differently at this point through a different lens. They were naked and they were afraid. And God, what did he do? Did he just leave them high and dry? No. God pursued them. And I love that. And he pursues us still today. Thank the Lord. He lays out some consequences. And then in verse 21, verse 21, we see something uh, interesting. It says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve or Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not allow, be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he has been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth like a lightsaber to guard the way to the tree of life. And you might read that, and you may try to understand it, and think, man, you know, there are no imperfect people allowed. You say, man, that's cold, right? You just got kicked out to the curb, right? It was harsh. An angel's there. A big flaming sword guarding this tree. Not very loving, maybe, you might think. How could God do this? Is that it? Is it all over? But actually, when you look at those verses in 21 through 24, you actually see that God made garments for Adam and Eve. He was gracious in verses 22 through 24. And the reality is that right from the beginning, God had a plan for imperfect 
people like you and me. Let's look at it, verse 21. Verse 21 says this. Uh, it says, And God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You might just skim over that and not realize that at, to that point they were naked, they were unashamed. Now they're hiding in their shame, and we're going to talk about that today. But what's interesting is that Adam and Eve, they needed some clothes, and they had some skins. Where do skins come from? Skins come from animals, right? Do you realize that in that moment, that was the very first sacrifice? See, Adam and Eve, they were the ones that were guilty, but God took an innocent animal and created skins it was the first of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And for hundreds of years, perfect, innocent lambs took the place to provide a covering for the sin for God's people. Blood had to be shed. You know the story. God's plan, you fast forward it, and then the ultimate sacrifice comes, right? Jesus, the perfect lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and he covers our sins, past, present, and future. You know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. He sent him to earth. It was his plan all along. And we call this plan the gospel. The gospel, the good news. And the good news, we can read about it in Romans, kind of chronicled throughout. That for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. It's the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Just like Adam. Adam deserved death and so do we. But the gift of God is eternal life. God provides eternal life. It's the backdrop. It's the gospel. It's the gospel story. It's the good news. So I want you to track with me here for a moment. We've got the series, No Perfect People Allowed. There are reasons that people don't, wouldn't step through the doors. Some think they're too bad. Some think they're too good. But then there's the gospel story, the good news. And we want to bring those three together. And so let's just look at two things this morning. Number one, the gospel is based on forgiveness, not self-righteousness. The gospel is based on forgiveness, not self-righteousness. And when we talk about self-righteousness, it's the idea that I'm good enough, right? Or you might say, I'm not perfect, uh, nobody's perfect, but I'm a good person, and you roll out all these ideas of kind of your pedigree of things that you do or the things that you say, the way you spend your money. Or maybe you, know, you say, look, I pay my taxes. I don't litter. I volunteer. I don't know what comes to mind. You say, my works, my actions, they speak for who I am. There's a self-justification, a self-importance. And it's interesting. It sounds like a group of people that we read about in the New Testament, doesn't it? Sounds like a Pharisee. And you know, when I say the word Pharisee, if you grew up in the church, you're probably like me, and you hear the word Pharisee and you think, man, Pharisees are bad, right? Everybody just shake your head and say, bad, right? I mean, Pharisees, they're no good, you know, lousy people, always making mistakes, right? But if you were living in the New Testament era, 
Pharisees were well-meaning people. They studied scripture. They were moral. They were the type of neighbor that you would have wanted to live by. A Pharisee. Maybe a little different perspective. But the problem was, is that they thought that their performance was what ultimately, what ultimately mattered. And the truth is, is that the gospel, the good news, is based on forgiveness. Someone has to pay for, not performance. And Jesus not only taught about this in the New Testament, when he was walking and during his ministry, but he also modeled it. And I want to show you an example. And the first example is in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, there's a, in this story, there's a Pharisee, there's the good guy. Um, he's a, he considers himself an equal to Jesus because, as you might know, Jesus was a Pharisee. Uh, Pastor Bobby reminded me of that this week. He was working hard, but he was probably judgmental. We see that in this story, kind of, feeling of feelings of self-importance, self-righteousness for sure. And so there's the Pharisee. There's also Jesus in the story who was the guest at this, uh, at this dinner party. And then there's the woman. And in some of your Bibles, it says a certain woman. It was kind of the woman that, you, that it was the outsider, the one that was filled with sin. The, the, she heard that Jesus was there, and she kind of self-invites herself to this, to this party. She's the outsider, though. And I want you to just kind of put your mind around it. She's maybe the, the woman that maybe was addicted to drugs or maybe was a prostitute or maybe had an abortion. I don't know. We don't know a whole lot about her. But it does say that she was filled with sin. She brings a jar of perfume with her, and the story kind of unfolds. The woman, you know the one, she falls at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. She's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and with her tears. She's kissing Jesus' feet, pouring perfume on them. Does anybody think that's weird? Come on. Come on, seriously. Show of hands. Do you think that's weird? Well, guess what? The Pharisee thought it was weird, too. I tricked you. <laughs> Look at verse 39 with me. Verse 39 says this, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Hmm. Jesus then tells a story about two people who owed money. 500 days of work, uh, if you put that in just a minimum wage and an average work week, that's about forty to $50,000 worth of work. Or, uh, and then another person owed 50 days of work, which might re re uh, be about 5000 or four to 5000 Verse 42, the point is of the story, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more, Jesus asks. And the Pharisee answers correctly that, yes, the, the one who, uh, which one would love more? The one that with the bigger debt forgiven. And then in verse 44, he says, he turned around towards a woman and, and, uh, and to Simon and says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon, that's the Pharisee, and you did not give me any water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, I think the point of this, at least for this morning, uh, there may be some other angles you could look at the story, but both the Pharisee and the woman needed forgiveness. Just like each and every one of us do this morning. The Pharisees, the Pharisee there, Simon, thought he was okay. He was self-righteous. The woman knew that she wasn't. And she humbled herself. But what's interesting is that Jesus, I believe, loved them both. And he didn't minimize the past sin. And by the way, if you minimize your past sin, you are maximizing your self-righteousness. And as an outsider, uh, from someone from the looking from the outside, they would see this and say, man, she's accepted and she's done all these things. That's good news. But I thought, you know, if you flip the tables, there are a lot of insiders, just like the Pharisee, that struggle with self-righteousness. In fact, I was studying yesterday morning at my table in my, in my kitchen, and I get a beep on my phone, and it was a, uh, this uh, leadership guy, his name is Kerry Newhoff, and he, uh, he posts every Saturday uh, a new blog, and it just popped up. I looked at it, and I kid you not, the title was The Top Ten Things Pharisees say today. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. And I was studying this right here. I was right there. It says in the survey, so I printed it off and I wanted to read this. It says the survey revealed that 51% of North American Christians uh, possess attitudes and actions that are more like the Pharisees than they are like Christ. Everyone say, ouch. And only 14% of the Christians surveyed reflected attitudes and actions that, are, that better resemble the attitudes and the actions of Christ. Now, it's encouraged that before I read this list and kind of talk about it just for a second, he says a word of caution. As you read these, don't think about who these phrases remind you of as nearly as much as you think about how they reflect your attitude and actions. Now, this is Carrie Newhoff. It's not me, but I'm going to read it, and it might make you squeam a little bit. Number one, if he knew the Bible as well as he did, his life would be better. Mm. That'd be a Pharisee today saying that, kind of self-righteous. He goes on and talks, and he says, arrogance is not a Christian virtue, after he talks about it a little bit. I love that. Number two. The Pharisee today, someone who's self-righteous maybe, would say, I follow the rules. Hmm. And he says, look, if you do, that's awesome. But following the rules doesn't keep you in love. It didn't get you into Christianity, and it won't keep you in, in Christianity. It's the love of God. Number three, you shouldn't hang around people like that. A Pharisee might say that. And he says, I understand that we have chosen, we have to choose friends for our kids carefully. And, uh, but when it applies to adults, this process stinks. One of the reasons many Christians aren't growing, or churches aren't growing, is because Christians don't know any non-Christians. Ouch. 
Number four, God listens to my prayers. That's what a Pharisee today might say. And you say, well, yeah, prayer is amazing, right? Well, listen, if there's any smugness in that, we got to be careful. He says prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. Number five, he says, and this is the one that got me. And I'll just confess. He says, sure, I have a few issues, but that's between me and God. That's what a Pharisee might say. And I know we didn't get these on the screen, but that's okay. Uh, he goes on to say, perfect on the outside and flawed on the inside. That's the accusation, uh, or the accusation Jesus levied against the Pharisees. When people on the outside look at, uh, pretend to be perfect Christians, it does three things. Number one, it alienates them. It makes them feel, uh, it makes them think you're fake because even they know that we're all broken, and it suggests that God can't help them. What do you do with that? Well, the antidote is to be transparent, to be vulnerable, and to be honest with yourself and with others. Number six, uh, it says they just need to work harder. If you said that, hmm. It says Jesus loved the poor and had compassion on broken people. Many Christians today don't. This, it's, this is hard to read. <laughs> Number seven, it's kind of quiet, I can tell. It says, of course I'm a Christian. A Pharisee would say that today. The idea, again, is it's not filled with wonder and amazement and gratitude. It's more of a pride. Number eight, more people need to stand up for Christian values. And he goes on for quite a ways. His bottom line point is, why would Christians hold non-Christians to standards they don't believe in? Be careful there. Number nine, I'm simply more comfortable with people from my church than I am with people that don't go to church. A Pharisee might say that today. Hmm. He goes on to say, this is one of the major reasons why you and your church are incredibly ineffective at reaching unchurched people. If you want to change that, go to some parties and get to know some people that are far away from God advice. And the last one, people who don't go to church can come if they want. A Pharisee might say that. And I read these and I thought, ouch, boy, that really hurts, right? But today we're starting a new journey and we're saying no perfect people allowed. We want to change the narrative. We want to change the story. And we do not want to be Pharisees. Amen? You don't have to be perfect. In fact, God specializes in messed up people. Any messed up people here? We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. So we talk about two reasons why people might not come through the doors. The first is they might think they're too good. That's self-righteousness, right? The second is they think, man, I'm so bad. And I, we've got to... Uh, our second point is that the gospel is based on mercy, not on shame. When we talk about shame, it's this idea that I'm too far gone or that no one could accept me, not even God. The definition of shame is this, and I'll read it. It says, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I've been there. I've 
felt I've carried shame in my life, and I know we probably all have. But people on the outside of church, people that wouldn't want to come through those doors, there are many that carry um, an amount of shame. They think they're too lost, and they may be looking for something, but the idea of coming through the church doors may scare them. Instead of shame, though, the gospel is based on mercy. Everybody say mercy. Mercy is getting what I don't deserve. I love this definition of mercy. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. So if you did something against me, Pastor Bruce, you come up and you hit me hard right across the cheek, right? And I've got the ability to make your life miserable, right? I mean, I could fire your butt or I could withhold pay. We could probably figure that out or I don't know, right? But I say, look, I'm going to forgive you, all right? I'm going to have compassion on you. Instead, I have the power to punish or to harm you but I choose not to. That is what mercy is. And what's interesting, and you know this if you've been around, Jesus taught about mercy, but he also, he modeled it. The story that came to mind was the story in John chapter 8. If you can turn there in the first 11 verses, one morning Jesus comes into the temple like he would have, because that's what Pharisees did. That's what Jesus did. He loved to be in the temple. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they drag a woman into the temple courts who had been caught in the act of adultery. You know, you can read over that quick, and you, well, yeah, she was an adulterer. Listen, she was caught in the act. It was a very vulnerable situation. She's probably wrapped in a sheet of some sort, probably naked or half naked underneath. And the story, they bring her in and they are ready to stone her. And they quote the law of Moses saying, look, it's, we are commanded to stone such a woman like this. And they ask Jesus, what do you say about that? And they're trying to trick Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He bends down, and he starts writing in the sand. And you say, what is he writing? Well, he might be writing out the sins of the Pharisees, things that they've done, hatred, you know, stealing, anger, I don't know. One commentator this week said that it's possible, and it's just, you know, just a guess, but that Jesus was writing the names of the women that the Pharisees had had affairs with. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> and he's writing these names, and they keep on pressing, and Jesus says something brilliant. He says, let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. And one by one, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they dismiss themselves. And it says the older ones first. How many know the older we get, the wiser we get? Uh, thank the Lord for that. And, uh, and then in verse 10, it says this. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? <laughs> no, sir, she said. Then neither do I 
condemn you. Mercy. And Jesus declaring, go now and leave your life of sin. I love that. Mercy. Now, it's not a get out of jail free card. He says, leave your life of sin. There needs to be change. But she was guilty in that moment. She deserved to be stoned according to the law. Jesus didn't gloss over that, but she gives the gospel message. She offers forgiveness, or he offers forgiveness, and he offers mercy, and it's good news. You know, it's interesting that just a few weeks later, Jesus would be bearing the sin of that woman on the cross. And he would be naked and stripped down just like she was. He would be exposed in that moment. He would have been beaten and dragged and dying just like she should have been. And God, he does the same for us today. He does the same for you. And he does the same for me. And I'm so grateful. And there are outsiders, people outside of these four walls, even this morning. There are people who feel like they could never be forgiven and they need to hear stories like this one. And we need to share that with them. Shame is a serious barrier to many people. And the reality is that even Christians struggle with shame. I know I have over the years and I have to fight against it. We know that we've been forgiven, but maybe we can't forgive ourselves. Or maybe we have our, our, you know, our crutch sin that just keeps on reemerging and reemerging. And we beat ourselves up over and over. And maybe it keeps us from serving or living the life God wants and the fullness of the gospel. I want to remind you of what Romans 8.1 says. For the, uh, it says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to beat ourselves up. And the truth is, is that the gospel is about love. It's simple. It's forgiveness and mercy all wrapped up in love. And it's love for imperfect people. God loves messed up people. God loves you, and he loves your neighbor, and he loves your enemy, and he loves your friend. You say, well, what is God's will then? Well, it's simple, and it's clear. God's will is that everyone would find him, find his son, would be saved, would receive forgiveness, period. Jesus has been pursuing, he's been knocking on the door, and you don't have to say, well, I'm going to get cleaned up first and then come, right? He just says to come. No perfect people allowed. Mary, I just saw her. Oh, you already came. Wow. <laughs> How'd you do that? We want to wrap up and just ask a simple question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? talked about self-righteousness, we've talked about being a Pharisee, and what we really need is not to be better ourselves, but we need forgiveness, period. And the great news is that, <laughs> is that we need it, yes, 
are already accepted and received forgiveness. And so the even better news is that that message can be taken outside of these four walls. Does that make sense? The second thing we talked about is shame, right? Right? Instead of uh, shame, we are offered mercy. We don't get what we deserve. Now the goal is for us to be activated. Maybe to step on some toes a little, to kind of light a fire underneath each of us. And we want each of you, and myself, we want to champion this message that no perfect people are allowed. And I want to challenge us to tell the story, to tell your story, to live the story. You know, the antidote for the one that really caught my attention was to live with transparency, to be vulnerable, and to be honest with ourselves and with others. And you know what? For me, I'd just be honest, there are times it's easier to just pretend. And if I were really honest, I probably grew up in a family that was good at pretending, perfect on the outside, but issues that no one else saw. And I was a Pharisee. I can slip into that pattern. And I need to tell others that that's the truth transparent. And I want to encourage you to do the same because there's no perfect people allowed. It's interesting. The story of salvation really is a flip on this idea of no perfect people allowed because the truth is is that in heaven there are no can't get to heaven unless your sins are forgiven, unless you receive that mercy. I read the gospel kind of message in Romans that kind of just chronicled the wages of sin is death, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of glory, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. And the truth is, we all need a Savior. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. This morning, if you're here and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior and you found yourself here at the Gateway Church on the first Sunday of opening a new building, we want to offer you the free gift of salvation. It's simple. If you put your belief and trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive you, I'm going to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes this morning. You might be here, and you maybe before you're following, before you made it here today, and you've thought that you were good enough, that the way you've lived your life, the, the things you've chose to do or say or not to do, you've said, man, I'm enough, and you don't, you didn't realize that you need a Savior. If that's you, or maybe you're on the opposite end, you're saying, man, I just barely got here, and I am, just feel like I'm too far gone, but you're realizing that just like the woman that was dragged out and ready to be stoned, 
you're here and the gift of salvation, mercy is being offered, forgiveness is being offered. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I need the gift of salvation, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand right where you are. Who this morning, first service, in the first service here in this building, would surrender to Jesus, to accept Jesus as their personal Savior? Just lift up your hand right where you are. Yeah, thank you. Yes, we got a young, young man over here on the side. Anybody else saying, that's me. sake of the one, I'm going to be real bold here. And in this new space, I've just been praying and asking the Lord about this. And uh, the Bible says that if we confess our sins one to another, if we are, uh, then we, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It also says that if we are ashamed of Jesus before men, ashamed of us and turn away. So I'm going to just be real bold and I'm going to ask this young man, if you're willing, would you just stand where you are and we want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. And I know it's a step and I know I, I know it's a, it's a big deal. But would you stand? We want to pray with you. Is there anyone else that wants to join him? Say, man, I need to get my life right with God. I need God to forgive me of my sin. There's no shame here. Anyone else? For the sake of the one, would you just stand with him and let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me. Take away my sin. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. service. There are people outside of these four walls that need to hear this message. Let's just hit it one more time. The gospel provides forgiveness. Not, it's not through self-righteousness. And we do not have to pretend. We do not have to be have it all figured out to share, to bring someone with us. The second is the gospel provides mercy, not shame. morning, we want to do something together in our this, in this new space. What I want to do is I want to just kind of stretch across the aisles, and if you only got like one up here, maybe, maybe slip back, and what I want you to do is I want you to take the hand of the person next to you. Before we finish our final song of worship, I want you just to go across the aisles, and I want you right here, right now, I want you to think about the person in your life 
that maybe outside of these four walls need to hear a message of forgiveness and of mercy. It's really a message of love. The person that needs Jesus, and you know it, and I'm not saying that we're the judge and we've got it all figured out, but can you think of the person that, man, if they didn't make it to heaven, it would grieve you to the point where you would say, I wouldn't even want to go to heaven unless they were there. Can you get that person in your mind? We've, we've talked about that before. It's your one. The one person, and I want you just to, right now, as you hold the hand of the person next to you, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God will help you to use your story and that God would help you to make a difference in their life. Come on, just pray right where you are. Lord, we ask. And Lord, as we hold the hand of the person to our left and to our right, pray for them that they would be bold like you are going to be bold. Come on, pray for your neighbor to your left and to your right. Hallelujah. Oh God, do a mighty work transform lives all across the lakeshore. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's continue with this final song of worship. Amen. Word that we received this morning, I just pray that we take it with us, that doesn't leave here, that it does go beyond these four walls, Lord God. We are just so excited again for what you're doing here, but what you're going to be doing in our lives, Lord God. I just pray that you open up hearts, uh, soften hearts, Lord God, to really, really uh, receive this word and not only just hear it, but then to to put forth action, to live it out uh, daily, Lord Jesus. We ask that you do new things in this new year, new us, do new things in our lives, Lord Jesus. Go before us, behind us, and all around us. We ask all these things in your mighty and your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Church, you're officially uh, dismissed. For those of you, again, that you're our guest, this is your first time. We love to connect with you at our Connection Center out in the lobby. For those that uh, need to uh, pray, receive prayer, we'll open up these altars at this time. But as for that, may you have a blessed Sunday morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.